Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 254. So I was all set to do an episode on levitation, as strange as that might sound, but the last minute I became aware of some drama concerning Sam Harris. I'm a couple of episodes behind on Sam's podcast, so the aforementioned drama actually came to my attention via YouTube. I was watching a video by a YouTuber known as J.F., uh, Jean-Francois something or rather, uh, a young French-Canadian guy who I believe has a PhD in neuroscience, and he's also very well-versed on evolutionary biology. Yeah, I just looked him up. I found him on the Society for Neuroscience uh, website. Jean-Francois Garieppi, I think it is, PhD. Yeah, very smart and laid-back guy, and I don't quite agree with him on everything. Uh, he tends to lean right, I tend to lean left. Um, but uh, that being said, I still really enjoy watching his videos and listening to him, and he bears an uncanny resemblance to uh, one of my best friends, actually. I believe I first found out about him through The Drunken Peasants, where he appeared as a guest several times. Anyway, I was watching a recent video he released after returning from a hiatus, and he mentioned very briefly in passing that AIU had made a video which was supposedly critical of Sam Harris. Now, for my audio-only listeners who aren't overly familiar with the strange, sordid world of YouTube atheism, AIU is short for Atheism is Unstoppable, a fairly popular and controversial YouTuber. I probably haven't mentioned him on the show for at least a year or so. I used to watch his content quite a bit back in the day, and my opinion of him was rather similar to my opinion of The Amazing Atheist. I looked at them both as having styles that some might find caustic or abrasive or in-your-face, but nevertheless still entertaining and making some good points. Shortly after I first became aware of him, AIU and I actually established a fairly friendly rapport. I even made a couple of videos in which I agreed with him concerning criticisms he had of the Young Turks, etc. Things quickly went south when he took issue with something I had said in passing concerning race. I had mentioned something about the legacy of slavery and or Jim Crow, and, uh... That was maybe um, too PC for him. Uh, I, I had no interest in getting mired in some long, protracted internet feud, so I just handled the whole thing as diplomatically and good-naturedly as possible. And luckily for me, I never became a real target of his ire. And his criticism of Sam Harris also has to do with, you guessed it, race. And what makes this noteworthy is that AIU has long held Sam Harris up on a pedestal. He has this thing called the Atheist Lineup, where he depicts high-profile atheists he admires in a row at the bottom of the screen, or something to that effect. Many have come and gone, but Sam Harris has always been an unchanging fixture, and AIU regularly heaped praise upon him. If there was a Sam Harris fan club, AIU should have been the leader. And uh, nothing wrong with that. I've long been an admirer of Sam Harris as well. Uh, but he recently took issue with something Sam had tweeted and then doubled down on during an interview with British author, journalist, and political commentator Douglas Murray. I'll actually play a bit of the clip that AIU took issue with. I am here with Douglas Murray. Douglas, thanks for coming back on the podcast. It's a great pleasure, Sam. So... 
we were all set to talk about questions of human values and their link to tradition. Uh, I think we were going to kind of stumble upon the, the glories of the Sistine Chapel, <laughs> having already talked about Islam and immigration and all of that, terrorism, etc., to our heart's content and to the, the laceration of our audience. But now we have some major news events threatening to derail us. We have um, neo-Nazis marching and committing murders in Charlottesville. We have another terrorist atrocity in Europe, this time in Barcelona. And then I think just in the last hour or so, there are reports from Finland of a stabbing. Maybe you have more information than I do. You're, you're in the time zone. It just doesn't stop, Douglas. Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, it just goes on and on. And uh, as we've said before, I mean, the thing is that the, some of the facts vary, but I mean, not very much. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's sort of hard to ever find anything new to say about it. Although sometimes new people, you know, discover the facts about it and get new opinions. But there's not much variation in all this, as you know. Yeah, I, I think there's there's some new ground to cover with respect to Charlottesville. And I, I think having you on the podcast for this could be perfect, although we, obviously we didn't plan to talk about this. But let's start with Charlottesville and Trump and, and the, the heat he's getting for his response to it, because I'm in hot water here with at least the moral imbecile wing of my audience <laughs> for a, a tweet I sent out. Uh, right after Charlottesville, I, I, I wrote, quoting myself now on Twitter, in 2017, all identity politics is detestable, but surely white identity politics is the most detestable of all. Seeing the, the absolutely cretinous response to that, I added, the necessary context, of course, is the last 200 years of human history. Yeah, so there was the tweet that AIU took issue with, and... <laughs> Sam talks about the so-called moral imbecile wing of his audience and the cretinous response. And he is referring to, it wasn't just AIU who had an issue with this. I haven't been on Twitter much lately, but supposedly he experienced a major backlash for that tweet. And it's funny, Sam's detractors are always accusing him of being racist or xenophobic or Islamophobic. And here he is getting in trouble with a certain segment of his base or his following for being too PC in their eyes or maybe virtue signaling. I think what they're taking issue with specifically is that it seems that, and I'll read Sam's tweet again, the first part of it. In 2017, all identity politics is detestable, but surely white identity politics is the most detestable of all. Hashtag Charlottesville. And man, I just looked at the date on this tweet, August 13th. So man, am I behind. Yeah, but, so I think what they're taking issue with is when he says, but surely white identity politics is the most detestable of all. It seems that like he's holding whites to a different standard or that he's implying that somehow white racism or you know racism coming from whites is worse than racism coming from any other community and in a way at first blush i can kind of get what they're saying it seems somehow unfair um you know we we should be denouncing racism in general 
and not guilting or singling out white people specifically. And, and so I, I think that's where they're coming from. But even before I went back and listened to his interview or his talk with Douglas Murray, uh, intuitively, the feeling I got, what Sam Harris was trying to say, and it's funny because Sam is such a highly intelligent and articulate person, and yet every once in a while, he'll kind of stick his foot in his mouth and, um, you know, he'll just kind of double down afterwards. And do I think this is one of those times, do I think Sam kind of put his foot in his mouth? Well, I'm not sure. I think what may have happened was he was trying to express something very complex in a tweet. And we all know how that tends to go. So to some, it looked like he was holding whites to an unfair double standard. But I think his thinking behind that tweet or, you know, where he was coming from. And I think this is backed up by that second tweet where he says the context being the last 200 years of history is that perhaps when there's a power differential, when you have a minority group that has a history of being oppressed or marginalized versus the people who have historically been oppressing or marginalizing them, that it's racism or identity politics coming from that group is worse or more distasteful than when it's coming from the minority or underdog group. And I guess the counter argument might be, well, no white people alive in America today owned slaves and no black people alive in America today were slaves. Uh, so it's not fair to hold white people to a different standard just because they share the same skin color as people who owned slaves in the past. And in some respects, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, when I look at myself, you know, I'm mostly Italian, but I probably look more like Swedish or German or something. But, you know, I, I'm basically the product of the Ellis Island immigration era. Basically, uh, you know, of Italian and poor Irish ancestry. So uh, I, I don't think any of my ancestors, in America at least, <laughs> owned slaves. Uh, you'd probably have to go back to um, ancient Rome, maybe. Who know? Or maybe my ancestors were the slaves. I don't know. Or uh, you know, ancient Celtic tribes enslaving other other tribes, or something like that. I don't know. So there are times when I. Personally, you know, when people will try to lay on the white guilt, I'm like, what the heck did I do? You know, I'm Irish and Italian. When my ancestors came to America, they were looked at as inferior and treated like second class citizens, you know. Um, the only positive function I can think of for, you know, quote unquote white guilt is that maybe it functions to keep in mind the horrors and iniquity of the past and how we have to try to right yesterday's wrongs. But once again, that should be balanced with the fact that, once again, 
no one alive today, <laughs> you know, in America owns slaves. So I don't think it's necessarily fair or charitable to hold the sins of the dead <laughs> against the living her, who weren't even alive when those sins were being committed. And it kind of reminds me of a recent news story. I think I just heard about it yesterday. Uh, maybe Philip DeFranco on YouTube was talking about it. And uh, there was this trans uh, woman, a model, and I, I think uh, she was black or of African ancestry. And she went on this kind of scorching tirade where she was saying, and I'm paraphrasing, things to, to the effect of uh, if you're white, you know, you're guilty, you've benefited from a system that prospered on the backs of slaves, etc. I actually just found a story about it, and this is from Mashable. Transgender model blasts L'Oreal for firing her for out-of-context remarks about race. So it says, early Friday, the UK division of the company announced its partnership with the London model was ending after she posted a comment on Facebook that started with, honestly, I don't have energy to talk about the racial violence of white people anymore. Yes, all, in caps, white people. It says the post has since been deleted. And I think the initial Facebook post, which I think they only have, uh, what, the first sentence here, may have been what contained the comments I was referring to. Um, it has a response from her that seems kind of more measured than what I remember hearing. Okay, so it says Bergdorf directly addressed the controversial statement that appears to have led to her firing. And here in quotes, when I stated that all white people are racist, I was addressing the fact that Western society as a whole is a system rooted in white supremacy designed to benefit, prioritize, and protect white people before anyone of any other race. Unknowingly, white people are socialized to be racist from birth onwards. It is not something genetic. No one is born racist, she wrote on Facebook. And I think, in a sense, there might be some truth to that. And uh, I think it's kind of a sad fact about our species, because uh, I think we should be aiming for a place where we really do treat each other, all people of all races and skin colors, etc., as equals, as members of one species, as members of the human race. But I think uh, just as I, you know, when I talk about morality and how Christians or believers will often kind of shake their fingers at atheists and say, if you don't believe in God, you know, where do you think morality comes from or where does your morality come from? And I've said ad nauseum on the show that I think basically the roots, the groundwork of morality is laid via evolution. I think we evolved to be a social species capable of altruism and empathy, group cooperation. But unfortunately, there's also a darker side. I think we've also evolved to be tribalistic, violent at times, to be susceptible to this kind of in-group, out-group dynamic. And so I think, in a sense, 
there is unfortunately that in-group out-group dynamic and so we live in a western society which was basically founded by a white european superpower but both britain and america are melting pots with very diverse populations but might there still be some lingering deference towards the group, the racial, ethnic group, whatever, that founded the empire, you know, so to speak? Maybe, uh, but it gets very complicated because, you know, you think about the average person going about their everyday life, just trying to be, you know, a decent person, Um you go to the bank, maybe the teller's the same color or a different color than you. Maybe your boss or your employee is the same color or a different color than you. Uh, maybe you accept them and don't even really think about skin color. Maybe there's a lingering bias or biases in you that you're either not fully aware of or not proud of. Maybe some kind of weird, instinctual or semi-conditioned in-group, out-group stuff. Uh, I don't know. And then on a systemic level, is there deference? I mean, I don't, it's, it's weird because there's still a lot of old white guys in power, right? But there's also a lot of female and minority uh, CEOs, celebrities, business owners, et cetera, et cetera. But then again, maybe to some degree, those are the exceptions and not the rule. And just because some succeed doesn't mean that there's not still some degree of racism or struggle. I, I, I'm kind of getting out of my depth, to be honest. It, it's, it's a lot to try to untangle. I think Sam and Douglas Murray are also going to talk about a lot of this stuff and probably much more eloquently and succinctly than me. So maybe I should get back to the clip. So I think it's... It's perfect to debrief with you over this because your your bona fides as someone who is worrying about immigration are, are impeccable, obviously. And there's no doubt there are people in the world or even in our audience who worry that you may be a white supremacist uh, or be, be motivated by racism. So I want to kind of walk through this. And, and if there's any point where you disagree, I'll be very interested to hear it. But let me just clarify what I was saying about identity politics here, because the point strikes me as absolutely obvious, but given the response, it's clearly not obvious to some people. Just to give you the predictable response, I've been accused of virtue signaling in the most abject way. This is kind of reverse racism, you know, so racism against white people is okay, or you can only be racist if you're white. I hate white people, something in that genre just came to me in torrents. So let me just clarify this and then see if you disagree. So just as not all religions are the same, and you know, I have much more to say against Islam than I have against Anglicanism, though I, I can find something to say about Anglicanism. And I have much less to say against Buddhism. I think there's, you know, there are wonderful things in Buddhism, although I, I have negative things to say about it as a religion. There are differences here. And so too with identity politics. Not all identity politics are the same, and they're certainly not the same with respect to the context in which they're being practiced in history. I mean, if you were practicing 
German identity politics in London in 1950, well, then you deserve to have the shit kicked out of you, right? I mean, this is just, you know, and, and the, the same could be true for, you know, Japanese identity politics in Nanking. And if you compare that to black identity politics in Alabama in 1964, which I think most sane people would acknowledge was not only morally understandable, but morally and politically necessary, right? I mean, that is identity politics, a.k.a. the, the civil rights movement in America. And I think that's an important point that Sam makes, and it kind of echoes what I was saying about how perhaps identity politics on the behalf of a minority or underdog group can be perceived as being more just or palatable. And Sam is talking about how sometimes perhaps identity politics can even be necessary, can, you know, it can help a oppressed or marginalized group to kind of galvanize and fight for their rights, uh, i.e. the civil rights movement or struggle. Now, my tweet was actually fairly carefully written. I mean, it's, it, it starts with, you know, in 2017, all identity politics is detestable. And of course, I'm thinking about the West. That reminds me of something I was thinking about today at work while I was toiling away. I'm like, it's because I was thinking about the show and this episode I wanted to do. I'm thinking, I felt very exasperated. 2017. And we've almost got race wars in the streets, Black Lives Matter versus white supremacists or eth white ethno-nationalists or whatever the hell they are, people carrying swastikas, uh, others carrying tiki torches and chanting Jews will not replace us. I'm like, really, man? It, it feels like we're moving backwards. And I'm thinking primarily about America. I was commenting on Charlottesville. And I believe this. I, you know, I think Black Lives Matter is a dangerous and divisive and retrograde movement. And it is a dishonest movement. I mean, it's not to say that everyone associated with it is dishonest. And uh, I can remember when Black Lives Matter suddenly popped up as this hashtag movement online. I felt very positively towards it. And uh, I began to get disillusioned when around the time when they basically bull or some representatives, because that's the thing. I mean, how do you centralize a hashtag movement? Um, but anyway, representatives of Black Lives Matter basically bullied Bernie Sanders off of his own stage. And then there were instances where they were kind of bullying or shoehorning their way into gay pride parades and things like that. So going by uh, some of their behavior, um, my view of them has definitely tarnished over time. But I find very little to recommend in, in what I've seen from Black Lives Matter. I think it is the wrong move for African Americans to be organizing around the variable of race now. It's obviously the wrong move. It's obviously destructive to civil society. But let me just say that black identity politics in the U.S. in 2017 is still totally understandable. I think it's misguided, but I think it, it, it's completely understandable. And in lo certain local cases, 
perhaps even defensible. What is not understandable, generally speaking, is white identity politics in the U.S. in 2017. I mean, you've got pampered doughboys like Richard Spencer, who have never been the victim of anything except now the consequences of his own stupidity, and now he gets punched as a, as a Nazi because people mistake him for a Nazi, though he doesn't think he's a Nazi, and perhaps he isn't a Nazi. But you have white nationalists and white supremacists marching in the company of actual Nazis and members of the KKK, and, and that is aligning themselves with people who actually celebrate Adolf Hitler and, and the murder of millions of people. And this brings me back to that AIU video. And when I was watching that particular video where he criticizes Sam Harris for, you know, the, for that tweet and for this clip we're listening to now, um, he gets kind of defensive or angry around or angrier around this point. And he gets upset by the use of the word Nazi. And also he seems to be kind of defending Richard Spencer and his lot by saying, you know, just because these people are kind of marching side by side with quote unquote Nazis, um, you know, kind of, you know, so, so what, what's this guilt by association? I think hanging out. Okay. And so he has a problem with the use of the word Nazi. And at first I thought it was because he was trying to soften the image or make excuses for Richard Spencer and white identitarians or whatever they are. But then I went and back and watched a couple more of his more recent videos. And his argument seems to be that by referring to them as Nazis, you're validating them and kind of turning them into these boogeymen or giving them more power than they deserve or whatever. Um, and, and he kind of paints them as kind of, you know, sad sacks or whatever. And he gets very specific saying, you know, Nazis were the German national socialists or whatever. They were specifically German. It wasn't a white identitarian movement. It was a German movement. And I thought that to some degree, I thought that was a little intellectually dishonest or as kind of splitting hairs because we know that in this day and age, well, for a while now, you know, Nazi has become pretty much shorthand for people who celebrate, as Sam said, celebrate Adolf Hitler, who identify as white supremacists. Um, so I think when you call white supremacists Nazis, people know what you mean. Uh, they don't need to necessarily think, you know, that you're talking, literally talking about um, German National Socialists in the first half of the 20th century, uh, they know what you mean by Nazi. You're talking about white supremacists who get off on or feel empowered carrying, you know, swastika banners or whatever it is. Um, and to me, calling someone a Nazi doesn't, it's, I don't think it's empowering. I think it's more like a pejorative. It, it makes them, you know, look like a piece of shit. <laughs> you know, I mean, what kind of scumbag wants to be identified with a movement that was trying to enact genocide and that was uh, 
tossing people into ovens because of their religion or ethnicity or whatever. And I, I don't think there's any, you know, people shouldn't go around trying to make excuses for Richard Spencer. Oh, he's not a Nazi. He's a, a white nationalist or whatever, or a white identitarian or whatever it is. Um, I, I think he's a troll. And I think he's kind of a dangerous troll. Uh, he flirts with fascism, with, uh, with the symbolism and the language of Nazism, but backs off just a bit with that big shitty grin so he can claim, who, me? I'm not a Nazi. But if you looked at the flyers he sent out for one of those... Um, protests. I forget if it was Charlottesville or the Boston one. And I'll try to include a picture in the YouTube version of this. It basically has Nazi, you know, German eagles or falcons or whatever they are uh, peppered all over it. Um, he uses terms like Lugenpresse. He borrows German terms used by the Nazis. So yeah, I, I don't think people should be making excuses for him or trying to soften his image. And as far as you know, were the Nazis a white identitarian movement? Well, they believed in a Nordic, a white Nordic master race. And I think that's what white supremacists, one of the things white supremacists love about them is this image of the perfect idealized white male. And if you notice, the at least the officers, the German officers, the Nazi officers, never really looked like that ideal Aryan male on the posters uh, with the perfect physique and blonde hair blowing in the wind or whatever. Eh, you had like Hitler with like the big hips and the Charlie Chaplin mustache, kind of dumpy looking. Then uh, Himmler and Goebbels and <laughs> not ideal looking specimens. And another thing that should be mentioned about these people that believe in a white ethno state or whatever, they literally want a, a, a separate country or land that's all white. And my question is, how do you think that's going? First of all, I don't think that's ever going to come about just because the logistics. America has been a melting pot for a long time now for generations upon generations. How, what are you going to do with all those non-white people? <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I was almost going to say, what's your solution? <laughs> and that brought to mind final solution. And this is, pro I mean, maybe this is, will seem like hyperbole, but history does have a way of repeating itself. And like I said, I don't think this vision of theirs is ever going to come to pass, but we always need to be vigilant. But I mean, what exactly are they are they envisioning for this white ethno state? Is it somewhere else? Do they want an island somewhere? I'd be like, have at it. But do they mean? Because okay, one of the things Richard Spencer has been quoted as saying is he's he calls for quote unquote peaceful ethnic cleansing you know, for for what he calls a dispossessed white race. Once again, what you got, if, if, so it's not just about them having their own magical Aryan island. They're talking about 
ethnic cleansing, albeit peaceful ethnic cleansing, whatever the hell that means. How the hell do you get every non-white person out of a country or territory peacefully? Right. And so this is not the same thing as Black Lives Matter. And it's not the same thing as even Antifa, these goons who attack them and you know, perhaps got attacked in turn. It's hard to sort out who started it there. And I've got nothing good to say about Antifa. These people are have been attacking people all over the country, and uh, they're responsible for a lot of violence. I think it's a dangerous organization. But And I concur with that. I echo Sam's sentiments on uh, Antifa. To me, they're basically an out-of-control anarchist group. It doesn't have the same genocidal ideology of actual Nazis, right? So that you, you have to make distinctions here. And all identity politics is not the same. So I guess I'm just wondering, do you disagree with any of that? I think I have a slightly different take on it. I mean, I, mean, I agree with most of what you just said. I, I think there are several things. One is that I think it's inevitable that if identity politics runs riot rampant in, among one group of people, it's, it's, it's almost always going to cause a counterforce. Um, in my latest book, In the Strange Death of Europe, I, I mentioned how it's quite hard to see how you don't get, you know, nasty white identity politics at some stage as a response to nasty identity politics of other kinds. Or in other words, I think, as I say at one point, you, 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 you it, it's not in the long term sustainable that everyone's allowed to do it on the basis of their skin pigmentation, apart from people of one skin pigmentation. It's sort of, it's just hard to imagine how that would be sustainable in the long term. And I largely agree with Douglas Murray here. The only thing that I would add is that, and I have this pet peeve, you know, it almost seems like an excuse. I've heard this a lot that this rise of white nationalism or white supremacists or whatever is somehow pushback against non-white or anti-white identity politics. And there might be some truth to that, but that's not a valid excuse. And at the end of the day, you're responsible for your own behavior. You choose whether or not to carry a banner with a swastika on it. You choose whether or not to walk down the street or march down the street shouting, Jews will not replace us, or calling for a, a white ethno-national state or a, a race war. So another group hurt your feelings because they tried to paint you like you're the evil white man or whatever. I mean, so what? Try to be the bigger person and say, well, I'm going to go with the mindset that we're all human beings, man. You know, um, I'm not going to let this person make me feel inferior or make me feel guilty just because I happen to, you know, have a white complexion or whatever. Um, and I'm not going to see them as lesser just because they're trying to paint me as a villain or look at me as lesser. To me, that is the better route than picking up a banner with a swastika on it or calling for a white ethno state. Although I agree with you there are there are, there are ebbs and flows in history of when you would legitimately have a, a, a cause among one group and 
and then it would diminish and so on. And I think there, there, there are two other things. One is that it's very hard once you go down this route to know when to stop. And it's not just a personal judgment, is it? Because it's, it relies on the goodwill of everybody else from your background or, or, or of the same skin pigmentation. I mean, it, it, it means that you, you're not going to have an opportunist on your side. Well, you know, we all know human nature. You always have, you always have hucksters and you always have opportunists and you always have people who, who, as I often say, remain on the barricades even after the battle is won because they don't have a home to go to other than the barricades. And that phenomenon is going to happen. And I think it's, it's been happening in a whole set of, of rights claims in recent years. And, and I think, I suppose, thirdly, that the, I don't entirely agree. I agree with you. I mean, I can't see why somebody like uh, uh, Richard Spencer could ever be regarded as having a sort of, as you said, a legitimate, you know, grievance, as it were. Um, not that there's any legitimate grievance that could could permit somebody going down into those fetid byways anyway. But but I, I, I disagree that, it, it, that it's not possible that, as it were, um, a, a white person somewhere in the States or some people might be feeling some aggravation. I, and I don't, as again, again, I mean, I'm, I'm talking this much like you in the, in the issue of context to do with particular groups at this moment in time. And let me, you know, throw out the obvious one. I can see how um, a white American uh, in a, you know, former steel town without a job and with all the same sort of lack of prospects as people of other skin colors in the area and so on, also on top of all of that, has to endlessly hear from the media and from a lot of rich kids at universities the claim that he has got white privilege. And I actually think that's a good point by Douglas Murray there. And it kind of ties into what I was saying earlier, you know, about as an individual asking, you know, what the hell did I do? You know, and when he paints that picture of someone who's out of work, maybe, um, you know, a laid off steel worker or something like that. And yeah, maybe it's true that, say, if I apply for a job and a person of color or whatever applies for the same job, and let's say we're equally qualified, um, and the boss happens to be white, and maybe he'd rather have someone that looks like him, whether he admits that to himself or not, or maybe he's got some kind of bias or prejudice going on. Um, maybe there's a chance that I'll get the job instead, and we could go into affirmative action and all that stuff, which I probably don't know enough about to speak uh, to at length. But, and I'm sure th there are cases like that where maybe, you know, person a person of color getting into a school or getting hired by a company because they feel like they need to meet a quota or of um uh minority individuals or whatever but yeah so let's say even if there is this unfair thing where maybe the white guy in a lot of situations might be more likely to get the job there are a lot of people who happen to be white who are also struggling I mean, when I look at my own background, like I said, mostly Italian and Irish, my parents came from the nearby city of Cambridge, Mass. There's stories about, and this sounds like one of those back in my day stories, but I mean, growing up, I used to hear stories about not how when my parents were growing up, they came from like a lower working class family, families, both of them, um, 
and stories about having to stuff newspaper into shoes because there was holes in your shoes or um, there not being a bed for everyone to sleep on or the family not being able to afford presents at Christmas. And my father worked his ass off found, you know, founding his own construction company when he was like 19 or something building it from the ground up. And I, when I say construction company, I don't mean a huge company where a guy sits in a chair smoking a cigar with his shoes up on the desk. I'm talking about my father and a handful of other guys sweating in the hot sun or freezing in the winter cold, swinging hammers, lugging around lumber like I do with my brother now. And, you know, I'm barely getting by. So... Um, I could definitely see how, why some people take offense to white privilege. And I actually kind of take offense to that too. And him feeling, you know, particularly at this moment in time, particularly disgruntled about that. Now, as I say, all of this to, to, to my mind is, is, is just, it's just horrible, horrible terrain, which I, I just wish we weren't collectively stuck on. I mean, of course we're agreed on that. It's sort of too obvious to say, but, but I say it because I have to say, as an outsider looking at America, it does seem to me that you're driving yourselves mad at the moment. And one of the ways in which you're driving yourselves mad is in this way in which you, you went towards something which I thought was the purpose and the dream within America, the dream after the civil rights uh, achievements and so on, which was which now seems to me to be being thrown away and, and almost bungee jump going back from. Uh, after after the moment of progress. And I think that this is happening because people are going down the whole avenue of this identity politics in general. I see it everywhere in the States, on everything. And I've never heard, I mean, I've never heard, you know, the only one I can claim to have any legitimate kind of personal insight into is the sort of gay identity politics. I've never seen people at such a, a pitch of of illegitimate agitation. And I don't know why they're doing it. Again, I fully agree, and this is why you know I, I would say that all identity politics is toxic at this point. Now, again, there are local cases where this almost certainly isn't true. I mean, if you're going to tell me that the Rohingya Muslims need to practice some identity politics against the murderous Buddhists in Myanmar, okay, fine. You know, I'll sign that waiver. But generally speaking, in in developed societies where civil society is or was well established where you have norms of a kind of universal political argumentation where the color of your skin is irrelevant to the position you are arguing for or should be must be to be persuasive identity politics is a disaster 2017 we're still fighting about race well i'm exhausted it's a friday night i'm not going out sadly so I'm going to edit this. I'm going to finish my rum and coke. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, as always, you know the drill. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, if you want to help the show monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time. Mm-hmm.